Welcome back to the Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp, joined today by Blake Alderman. We've got plenty of things to talk about Florida Gators related. Obviously, the NFL draft is going on. Right now, we're a couple hours away from the second round of the draft. Uh, so you should have a lot of news on Swamp 24-7 by the time you listen to this podcast about where some of these Florida Gators have gone. But coming out of the first round, Blake, I wanted to talk a little bit about maybe a little bit of a surprise that no Florida Gators were drafted. What was your takeaway from the first night? It was a little surprising just because whenever you followed the mock drafts, there's, you know, at one point there was upwards to three guys from Florida that could have possibly gone in the first round or were getting, you know, those feelers put out. So, um, you know, it was a little surprising that I, I think the most surprising thing, obviously, is Juwan Taylor is, is still on the board available as we record this. Um, he was a guy that I think at one point was was linked to, you know, maybe even a top 10 pick. And, you know, here we are in the 30. So I think that, that was probably the most uh maybe a head scratcher thing. Um, but you know, I, I, second round pick, you know, I think it's going to be a pretty active day for Florida. Yeah, no doubt. You know, and I I think Taylor was definitely the one that surprised everyone. You know, I think most of the mock drafts that I had seen had him as high as number seven at Jacksonville. I do think the way the draft played out, you know, we were texting about it. You Luke and I last night about just, uh, kind of a weird, it was a weird draft, right? Starting with the Raiders at number four, um, you know, John Gruden makes a surprise pick and all of a sudden it starts bumping guys backwards. Uh, I think that, you know, made, might, have, might have contributed somewhat to Taylor slide just in terms of all of a sudden you got teams picking best available instead of maybe the guy that they needed. Jacksonville takes, you know, a pass rusher and Josh, Josh Allen instead of a tackle. And, and then, you know, the further I think you see it almost every year, the further and further down some of these guys start to slide. I remember a few years back, Sharif Floyd was talked about as maybe even like the number three pick. And once they start sliding, it's like it almost seems like all these other teams start to have these question marks. Oh, well, why didn't that team take him? You know, they need it. They need an offensive tackle. Why didn't they take Juwan Taylor? Um, I mean, do you think some of that's going on with this? Or I mean, I know we talked a little bit about maybe some medical issues coming up. What's well for you? I mean, what what's going on here? You know, I, I think uh, what was he couldn't participate in the combine because he had uh, Dr. James Andrews do some kind of procedure. I think it was knee, but I'm not completely totally positive there. I don't remember. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, whenever you get anything like that, any kind of medical thing linked to you, I think a lot of teams start to get really skeptic. They start to do a lot of research and they look into things. And, um, you, you know, I, it, it's 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 interesting because you see a lot of these guys and uh, you know, I watch college football. Don't get me wrong. I'm a pretty avid college football guy. But when you're not watching Alabama State and you see a guy like that go before a Jawan Taylor, you know, you think like, what, what's going on? And, you know, yeah. it was almost like a Brady Quinn type thing where he's, you know, he's still sitting in the green room. Like, what's going on? Well, he's one of five guys left. So it's going to be interesting to see, um, you know, where he falls in that mix as as the second round gets underway tonight. I, I'd be shocked if he wasn't off the board in the second round. I mean. You know, people talk about these medical issues. Uh, I was watching the coverage last night, and, you know, Montez Sweat's a guy that, you know, medical red flag at the Combine. Well, it turns out they tested it wrong, and he actually had nothing wrong with him. Um, So I I think we tend to overanalyze these guys a little bit. To me, it's pretty simple. Like, if you like Taylor's football film, the guy played and started in 35 games, I believe, in the SEC. So, like, these injury concerns, I get it. Like, yeah, if you have something troubling, you know. But to me, the guy never really missed games in college. Yeah, I think that's the thing. Just from a production standpoint, I don't think that's the hang-up there. I mean, I, I've kind of maybe thought way too much into it, but just seeing pictures of him there. I mean, this is an offensive lineman that has like a six-pack, you know. So he's a very lean offensive lineman. I mean, I don't know if that contributes to anything. But, I mean, looking at him compared to some of those guys that were picked last night, I mean, those were like 
giant tree people that were picked last night. I mean, those were big human beings. You know, Jonah Williams is a big guy. Um, the guy that was picked from Washington State, I believe Philly picked him up. Um, you know, he was also a large human being. A lot of left tackles. I think Juwan might be more of a right tackle thing, so I don't know if that makes him a commodity type of thing that makes him slide down. But, I mean, from a production standpoint, you're going to get a really good player. I mean, you're getting a first-round talent player in the second round. Yeah, well, and I think you said it, you know, right tackle only. I think he's only played two games at left tackle, and it was very early in his career. So maybe that's part of the concern. Um, but I do think he can play guard as well. So uh, to me, he's still got some of that position versatility. You know, we're probably doing the same thing, overanalyzing it, just like everybody else. But uh, I've seen a couple people make the point that when you watch Taylor on film, it didn't necessarily jump out as, okay, this guy's offensive tackle number one in this draft. You know, I right. never really got that sense with him. There's obviously the flashes, and he, he was really, really good in the run game, getting out into space and blocking people, but maybe not quite as good with the speed rushers. Um, so I, I don't know, man. Uh, you know, We obviously all expected him, I think, to go in the first round, but I still think, like you said, I think he's going to be a quality addition for whatever team ends up you know, taking the plunge and picking him in the second round or third round today. And I will say, I'll give him a uh, you know, tip my hat to him. A guy that doesn't get picked and sits in that green room all night and then still comes back the second day to have that moment, I think that's commendable there. You know, I mean, it shows that, you know, he's not soft, I guess. I don't know. Like, I mean, to come yeah. back and sit there and wait and wait and wait and still have, you know, to come back and maybe wait again. I mean, I don't know how long. I don't think he's going to wait long in a second round, but I think that's commendable, you know, to to come back. I, I don't know that I would. I, I don't think I would. I think I'd just go home and be like, screw this. I'm going to sit at home and eat some chicken yeah. wings and watch this. Well, I mean, you covered him as a recruit, and you know, I've been around him the last couple of years as a player. He's a he's a super nice guy, very nice family. Um, you you hope the best for him because those are the kind of guys that uh, you appreciate covering. And I, I think you know, just based on his whole story, I mean, you know, he as a recruit, he was like 383 pounds. They told him he had to lose weight to come to Florida. He's always worked hard, so I think to me that stands out too. Is you know, whatever team gets him is going to be getting a really hard worker. On top of that, too, I mean, I don't know how scouts couldn't watch that YouTube video of him like working out as a quarterback and wide receiver and things. I mean, that that's that's a that's a specimen right there, bro. So let's let me ask you this, Blake. Uh, which of the other two guys? Because we we basically had three guys that we thought had first round potential, uh, and they were Taylor, Chauncey Gardner Johnson, and Jakai Polite. Which of the other two goes next? I think Chauncey Gardner Johnson is the one that for me that goes. I uh, I think that we, you, we mentioned last night that you, we talked about last night that there was maybe some guys plugged in the Seattle media that said the Seahawks were worth keeping an eye on there and I think that's a good pick. Obviously, losing Earl Thomas, I think that that could be a team that I'm at least from my uh, rookie draft analyst here. I think that that's a team to watch there. I mean, that makes sense there. But you know, when you have a guy that it's a safety, I, I mean, he can play corner. I think he's a little bit of a liability there. Um, you know, he's more of a nickel safety kind of yeah, guy he's there. He's not a corner to me. No, not at all. But I mean, he has played there. I don't think he should ever play there again. But, um, you know, I think that, I think, you know, when you get into the DBs, you know, you get uh, DeAndre Baker was off the board last night, Greedy Williams there. You're, you, I mean, other Abrams, you know, he was drafted there. DBs are going to start being taken. And I think after a while, you're going to start to see maybe the floodgate fall. I, I think he's going to be the next guy there. Yeah, I like, yeah, I, I think I agree with you. Um, Ja'Kai Blight's such an X factor, and we'll talk about him in a sec. But for me, Gardner Johnson is, the question is really, where does he play? Um, sure. You know, he, he played outside corner that one year, one spring at least. And um, not that's not, never his, do it it's again. not his spot. No, no. And he was so good at nickelback. And and even I think I think he's flashed a lot as a free safety where I could see a team <laughs> saying, OK, um, you know, we get this guy in the film room and, and really studying. He's going to be the kind of guy that can break on balls and really be a ball hawk. 
Uh, one of the things that stood out to me was we were talking to Gardner Johnson in the Peach Bowl or prior to the Peach Bowl. And he said, basically, as a freshman, a sophomore, he would just roll out there and, you know, it was just he'd just rely on his athleticism. And it wasn't until he realized, like, shoot, dude, I've only got one year left before the NFL because he was always a three and done guy. He's like, shoot, man, I better, like, start focusing. And I think he saw a very different player in terms of how he approached the game, studying film and stuff like that. And I think I think if you can put him at a free safety spot and let his instincts take over, I think he'll be really good there. Yeah, I just he's an uber athletic. You know, he's a guy that he was quick. He was quick on the track as a high school guy. I mean, this is a quick guy who has learned to tackle much better in like what a year, if that. That he learned Mm -hmm. to tackle a lot better, and that was the one part of his game. Um, You know, he can. I think free safety is a really good comparison because he's throwing back. I mean, he's like a center fielder. You know, he can cover a lot of things. Um, Great nickel. I mean. I think a lot of teams can do a lot of different things with him, and I think that that versatility is going to make him a little bit, a little bit of a commodity when some of these DBs start kind of flying off the board a little bit there. Well, and that's and the the NFL's kind of shifted that way too towards preferring maybe the guys that can be a little bit of a bigger nickel um, rather than you know your traditional nickel who's more of a corner. You're looking for guys that can cover tight ends, but also have the size to get down in the box and play in the box. And I think you know Chauncey can obviously do that. Um, on the other hand, let's, uh, Ja'Kai Polite, um, man, I, I don't know what to make of it. I think obviously he, he probably got some poor advice heading into the combine. I think the, the biggest thing for me is it was just a series of poor decisions from the standpoint. And I don't think he had bad intentions at all, but I think from the standpoint that he is a speed rusher and opted to try to add a bunch of weight, I think really, really hurt him. Um, I don't know if that was the cause of his hamstring injury or it just compounded with that to where he's putting in slow times and all that. But to me, he just got bad advice throughout the process. You know, I think that's pretty agreeable there because, I mean, he was a guy that it seemed like whenever it's time to start asking those questions of what's going on with NFL draft, or are you, are you, are you staying or are you going? When those questions start being asked, he just seemed really on the fence the entire time. Um, you, you know, some of those guys... You could tell when the answers start getting really political that they're definitely thinking about it. And he just yeah. truly, I don't think he really knew what he was doing until maybe later in the stages there. And, uh, you know, like you said, he adds the weight. It takes away from his quick steps there. I mean, you turn on the film, he's he's a great player. It jumps out to you, like the production he has, especially if you're a 3-4 type of defense. And But when you ask the question of edge rushers, do you like Josh Allen or do you like Ja'Kai Polite? I, I think you. It's an easy. You know, Allen is obviously the the guy you're going to yeah. go there. So I think that that obviously is a hindrance whenever you're trying to be a first round guy because it's not a deep position there. You know, I don't think a lot of guys are looking at an edge rusher in the first round in general. Um, but he kind of imploded himself, shooting himself in the foot. Just some of the things he said in the draft when he sit there and right. he talked about, oh well, man, all these teams were bashing me. I just don't think that was a good look for him. And I think that a lot of things. It's what you make of it just from looking at it. Just, I mean, what are some of these teams? You know, it's your first time ever talking to this guy. I mean, you have to form an opinion really quick. And mm-hmm. I think that that left a lot of bad taste in the thing. And I, I think it just kind of, he maybe self imploded from there. And I don't think it really got much better for himself there. Yeah. I, and you wonder, you know, we, we're not privy to all the meetings after that. After sure. The combine, I can only go off day. what I've seen there. Um, it didn't seem like it went well for him. Well, no. And, and he'll, he'll be the first one to tell you that, that he, he kind of botched it there. And, I, and that's where, that's where where he ends up is going to be so interesting to me is because at his pro day, he was super open about, dude, he was like, man, I had no idea what I was getting into. I handled it really poorly, but he took full ownership of all that. It wasn't like, 
oh man, the media is misportraying me or stuff like that. I mean, he was very, he owned it. And I thought that was really impressive. And it came off as very genuine to me. So if he can go into those, you know, if he went into those interview processes leading up to the draft with teams and the, the, the sit down dinners and all that, with that same attitude and that same, you know, sense of genuineness, I think he probably convinced somebody. And I think you see him go off the board pretty early. Um, the, the other question, you know, goes back is, is such a combination of things, you know, the, the interview process, the, the, the testing results, but also the game film. To me, his game film is very flashy, but there were also some areas where maybe he could have improved a little bit. I agree. Uh, you know, the one thing I will say is that the one clip that always has jumped out to me about him was whenever I, I think McElwain was even there. It was the Tennessee mm-hmm. game. He was still wearing 99 and he got beat there and he runs down the field to catch the guy. That's the Jakai Polite that I think a lot of people want is that drive. And then whenever you see the way he answered his questions in his media, you see, you know, I think whenever it starts to break the question in of did he exaggerate an injury to end his day early, I just think a lot of those things just don't help your cause. And again, I don't think that all of that is completely to blame for him because, I mean, what if he did get hurt? You know, that that's, that's not his fault if he really did get hurt. Right. But I just think a lot of just the way – the perception of himself as headed into the draft. I just think it really kind of killed his, his momentum there heading into the draft. Oh, there's no, I mean, there's no question about it because he, you know, he very well could have been probably a first round pick. Um, I think I always look at the NFL draft process like this, you know, if you're talked about in that first round range, there's obviously something about your game that people really, really like. Um, and the whole draft process is about, reaffirming those positives for are you worth the millions of dollars that we're going to give you because we're going to give you millions of dollars and they're looking for any little thing that they can pick out to say oh wait wait, maybe this isn't quite what we thought or you know maybe he's not quite the person we thought he was and if you sow those seeds of doubt man they grow quick and i think i don't think it was intentional on polite's part again i don't even think that necessarily for his representatives whoever's giving him advice that it was intentional um but I think he sowed some seeds of doubt, and that's why he's still on the board. I would expect him, uh, you know, at some point uh, to be called off the board pretty quick in the second or third round. Um, but I, I do think that he learned a lot through this process. And I think, you know, a lot of times we make it all about just players and X's and O's. And to me, there was a, a real raw element of humanness, you know, in his pro day admission that, dude, he had no idea what he was getting into. Uh, so for me, that was pretty neat. I'm, I'm hoping that... Uh, you know, his his name is called pretty soon and he gets to end that. One, one thing I found really interesting from the first round, because uh, it's hard. I know we're recording this podcast on Friday afternoon. And, uh, you know, obviously there's going to be a lot of picks after that we can discuss in a, in a later episode. But one of the things that stood out to me was you had three Mississippi State players drafted in the first round. Zero Florida players. I mean, Blake, what does that say to you? <laughs> I think it definitely shows that Dan Mullen did a lot of things with a little bit at Mississippi State. You know, obviously, I know Jeffrey Simmons was a highly recruited guy, and he obviously did what he was supposed to do. But it's still very possible to be a five-star player and not get the coaching and not get that that molding of how you are there. And I think, uh, I think it says a lot of what Dan Mullen can do with his players. Um, I don't think Mississippi State is one of those programs that is, is historically, you know, putting out first round talent. And he found those guys. He helped kind of put his stamp on them to help them, you know, grow into men. And I, you know, I think that's something that's funny to show of just what Dan Mullen was doing at Mississippi State and maybe what Jim McElwain was doing at Florida. And I think the draft shows that. No, I mean, <laughs> one, just, one was in a good direction, one was not. It's a stark contrast, man. Like, I mean, it really is. And the, the funny thing is, 
I'm going to say something that's going to come across like I'm saying stars don't matter. But, okay, consider this. Florida has two five-star seniors eligible for the NFL draft right now, Martez Ivy and CeCe Jefferson. Neither of those are really considered to be early-round picks right now, and who knows where they go. Maybe maybe they go higher than we expect. But two of those guys, and Dan Mullen had, okay, just probably the one in Simmons. I don't think Montez Sweat was very highly regarded as a recruit, and I'm not entirely sure on, on Abrams. Um, to me, that says Dan Mullen's pretty good at developing players, and Florida's players were maybe underdeveloped under Jim McElwain. I think that's exactly. I mean, I we even saw it on the message boards last night. Like it, those threads came out pretty quickly, so I think we're not the only ones there. Or we're onto something. I mean, look at Felipe Franks. You know, it, it, can't get anything out of him under Jim McElwain. All of a sudden, Dan Mullen finally gets the light to come on. Uh, on the flip side, Nick Fitzgerald has a great year in 2017 and looks like he can't throw a football in 2018 once Mullen and his staff are gone. So I, I think that's uh, you know obviously Florida. Fans would have preferred the first-round streak not to end. I think it was the first time since 2012 that the Gators haven't had a first-rounder. But I think if you're looking for some positives in terms of the overall direction of the football program, I think Dan Mullen and his staff have clearly um, you know, developed a philosophy where they know how to develop guys. And I, uh, We were talking about it a little bit before we started recording the show. Dan Mullen said in, in mid-November that he didn't think they had a lot of pro guys on this team. And to me, that was it was a little jarring when I heard him say that, given that you have at this point, five, a school record five early entries into the NFL draft. Dan Mullen was making it pretty clear that, hey, guys, like I know y'all think you're ready for the NFL, but I also know what I can do for you as a player, and if you stick around and let me develop you, you're going to be a lot better off in the long run. You know, and I, I feel like the direction of college football, it's, it's almost like a minor league for the NFL. I mean, these guys are there to – that's the goal is to get to the NFL, is to get produced and get to the NFL. And I think whenever you see – Maybe how some of the things went for some of these Florida guys. You know, I know each person is different. You can't obviously put your own decision into somebody else's. But I think if in the future, if coach is staying, it might be a good idea to stay. You know, I don't think it's being taken as like a shot or disrespect. I mean, look at it now. You know, I think that Mullen saying that there's not a lot of pro guys here or, you know, maybe there's not a lot of that top talent here. You know, we could be having a totally different conversation if next year maybe some of these guys stayed. You know, maybe a Jakai Polite is a is a top round. Maybe Jawan Taylor doesn't fall. I mean, that's a lot of maybes and what ifs there. But you know, I think there's something to it. Well, like I said, I think the numbers from the first round last night show that to some degree. I also think, and I've thought for a long time, Florida seems like one of those schools where, for whatever reason, be it the brand, the perception, it always seems like. Florida has guys that come in that are already like set on going after three years, no matter what. And it just doesn't change. Like Boshan Joseph to me is a guy that came in and was three years and done. Chauncey was the same way, but Chauncey, I think more so than Boshan Joseph has the talent and the ability to make that work and be, you know, a second or third round pick. But I think, I think it's interesting to me how you recruit in some ways, um, because the message you send in recruiting to these guys that you're bringing in, in a lot of ways shapes their attitude about, how they're going to approach their career. And I think a lot of times, you know, the, the pitch at Florida has been, hey, we get a lot of guys to the NFL. You come in, you play three years, you can get there. And I don't think Dan Mullen recruits like that. Like, to me, Doesn't. that's not – okay, so what's his pitch? Because to me, it's it's very different than what we've seen at Florida sometimes in the past. You get sort of more of a family-type vibe. I think you see a lot of the coaches' families around um, – you know, players, families are, you know, bringing in recruits to have a cookout. You know, that's not something that Florida has done in a while. And it's, and most of the kids, whenever they leave something like that, it'll be in May this year. They had it last year. It was the first time they've done the, the big Gator cookout there. 
They just bring the kids in and feed them and talk about, you know, how's life, how's this, how's that. It was interesting last year after that, you know, because I'm trying to get recruiting juice. You know, I'm trying to like, mm-hmm. hey, what do they tell you about yeah. position? Blah. They're like, dude, we were talking about like my shoes. We were talking about like how my grandma is, how school is, how this, that, and the other is. And it's just, it, it's not a, a, a heavy fake type of pitch it's really genuine it's i want to get to know you and it's not a lot of things now we're switching from the you know you can come here and you know we're florida we're we're this big brand you know three years and out you'll be in the nfl now it's more of a you can come here and be in a top 10 football program that's you know on the up and up and also a top 10 academic program or as well to get a really good degree it's more of this is what the degree from florida can give you past your life you know this that and the other it's not so much of a what Florida can do for you to get to the NFL as fast as you can, it's its a lot more things of what Florida can do for you as a person. And I think that that's more of the family type environment that Florida has brought in. And I think it kind of brings more of we want you to stay, be part of the family, come finish what we started, you know, type of thing. And it's not, it's not, not so much like, you know, we're going to get you out of here. You're going to be making millions of dollars as fast as possible. And that's the goal. And I think that that's where a lot of. Like you said, Chauncey Gardner, he's a guy who has always been an NFL guy. Vashon Joseph, another guy who has always been an NFL guy. And I think that that's even dating back to Muschamp. I, I feel like even right. the last two staffs, it was more of a get in and get out. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. And the one <laughs> – I know our uh, our hardcore fans on the message board and subscribers uh, on at Swamp 24-7 will probably you know chide me for this. But People always get on John Hevesy, on a, you know the real hardcore recruitniks, because he he doesn't sugarcoat things for guys. He's not you know he's not selling these highly rated offensive linemen on hey come here and you'll start right away. I mean he straight up tells them dude it's going to be two to three years before you're ready to play, um, but I will get you there and I'll get you ready to play. And I think it'll be interesting to see if that same approach generally to the whole recruiting and and this dynamic has a similar effect at at Florida as it did at Mississippi state where you're seeing a lot of guys come out really, really polished as players and developed and maybe not as many guys going early because they see that and they see seniors and veterans that are going and, and getting fully developed and then having that pan out in the NFL. I don't know, you know, Florida's different than Mississippi state. Maybe it's not the same, uh, but at least, at least on the surface to me, it seems like it's a, a bit of a different approach for now. Absolutely. You know, it was a little weird the first time where, you know, it's like, oh, what did the coach say he liked about you? Talking about Hevesy. Wow, he actually talked about the things he didn't like about me. That was the first time there, too. And it was like, uh, it, it's a different way of motivating guys. And I think that that's the type of thing that Hevesy, you have to account for that when you're recruiting. Like, can these guys take this? Right. Well, yeah. I mean, you don't want guys that come in and then all of a sudden it's a completely different thing than he's ultimately recruiting. That's how guys transfer very quickly. Right. And uh, I think, you know, I think Florida staff, has a very good idea of what it wants to do, what it wants to pitch. Um, maybe not look like exactly like what Florida fans uh, were used to under Urban Meyer. Who knows? Um, but I think it's going to be effective, and uh, it'll be interesting to see it play out. You know, as more of these NFL drafts come and go, and we see what the numbers look like. But uh, Blake, uh, you were in Lakeland Monday night. I know uh, Dan Mullen gave a a speech to the Polk County Gator Club there. I, I wanted to get real quick as we kind of you know get towards the end of the show here. Well, what was his message, I guess, and and what was your takeaway from this spring, maybe compared to last spring even? You know, I think the funny thing, and, and a lot of people had asked, because at the end, Coach Mullen opens it up for a Q&A for fans to ask questions. It's always a really fun part of the thing, because some of these fans ask really funny questions, and it's, <laughs> you know, ones that I'm like, there are a couple that I'm like, oh, man, I wish I would have asked him that. Um, but uh, I think the main thing is, is now Mullen has the same – 
goal as last year. The same expectations for the program as he had last year to this year. And I think the thing he said a lot of is now, well, now all the fans have the same expectations I have talking about a national championship, talking about playoffs, you know, SEC championship. Those are a lot of things that I think Florida fans coming off of a four-win season. It's a different ball game now heading into the spring. Um, one of the things, too, that I think I, I'm always impressed with, and I don't know why I am, it's just how Coach Mullen can really sell a crowd. Mm-hmm. It's just so different from – what we had under McElwain here, and it's just he came in and and he really, you know, the crowd is, you know, they're lively. You know, he's getting them involved. He just knows what to say at every setting. It, it just seems like he knows yeah. how to work a room, um, and it definitely worked there. He had you know guys really pumped. Um, I, I think the one thing though, um, in Lakeland that was asked about it was funny. He opened it up for Q and A. Um, the first question that a fan asks is, uh, <laughs> so coach, when is DeMarcus Bowman's yeah. LOI coming in? And, yep. you know, coach Mullen, he can't speak on recruits publicly. Um, and he's like, you know, I can't say, but you know, December 12th or the, the, what is it? The third, first Wednesday in, De- uh, in December, that's whenever the signing day is. And you know, all the crap, cra- Oh yeah. Yeah. They're all, you know, really Jack. So, um, I think it just comes off that he just, Florida isn't, in a really good hand in really good hands. He was really trying to preach into also bringing fans into the game. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think one of the comparisons he said was, you know, well, Felipe was at every game. I was at every game, you know, coach Hevesy was at every game. Were you at every game? And I think that a lot of fans, maybe this time last year, were thinking like, well, why do I have to go to a game for you guys to win? And then he brought up, you know, what was the, the most populated game last season? I think a lot of people were like LSU, LSU. And then he was like, well, what game was the turning point of the season? And everyone was like, South Carolina. Um, and he's like, well, LSU, you know, it was a rocking stadium. You know, it was a really good environment. We beat a really good team. And, you know, South Carolina, you know, we didn't have as many people show up there. And the offense kind of struggled. You know, if you have that environment and, you know, whenever we started getting our guys together and really motivated by the crowd, you know, we started playing better. So I think he really does a good way of associating the program to the fans. I feel like, you know, last year we see him going around all the frat houses, sorority houses, just trying to get people there. And I I think Mm -hmm. it's going to work. I think that the way that fans seem to, I don't want to say eating out of the palm of his hand, but it's kind of like what it was because he just really relates to them really well. And I think he, I think he's going to have people show up just from, I don't know if every stop is like that, but you know, I can tell you that Polk County was really excited to see him and they're really excited about the season whenever they left. And you know, it, it seems like he just really relates well to everybody. Well, I, to me, it, and I've said this a million times, I just think it's I think he's a great fit for Florida. And the one reason I think that is because he is like the most extremely confident person you can meet. And I don't think it's like a, a put on air or anything. I think Dan Mullen just genuinely believes that he's like one of the best football coaches in America. And you can see it. I mean, his track record kind of speaks for itself. You know what he did at Mississippi State and obviously what he did at Florida. Um, but I think that resonates with fans and uh, I, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up the the Georgia wisecrack he had. Um, you know, obviously the spring game attendance figure thirty nine thousand four hundred seventy six. Uh, it's been thirty nine years since Georgia won a national title and four hundred seventy six games since they did it. Well, Mullen was asked about that at the Lakeland uh, the Lakeland speech as well, and kind of played dumb, said, "Oh, you know, I didn't know about it or whatever." But you know, maybe it was those Georgia fans that are so uptight they haven't won a national title in thirty nine years that they went and figured it out. Uh, and of course, you know, the fans love that. Um, but I, I think, uh, it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, he's obviously not shy about taking shots at Georgia who right now, uh, black and white, they're ahead of Florida right now. I mean, they've won the last two in the series and, um, I mean, recruiting wise, they're, they've, they've got more talent on paper. 
but to see Dan Mullen as confident as he is, I think that's what Florida fans are all about. You know, they, they expect to win, like you said. That's the expectation. And I, I just think Mullen's done a really good job of conveying that. So it's, it's cool to see that he's uh, picking right up where he left off on the spring speaking tour. Yeah, and I, I think one of the other interesting questions, and I've actually thought about it probably way too much since the meeting there, was one of the fans asked, you know, what's your favorite rival? And he was like, well, you know, before, whenever I was here, the Tennessee game was a really big game, and obviously it's been moved. It kind of takes the implications a little bit away, and obviously Tennessee's not been very good. Um, a lot of factors into there. Um, then he mentioned FSU. I think LSU was another one that was mentioned too in there. Um, so it actually made me think, like, I, I don't know who is their biggest rival. So I've, like, literally thought that, you know, since Monday. <laughs> what are we on, Friday yeah. now? Yeah. So I don't know. Like, who do you think? Well, I mean, you'd have to say it was FSU over the last couple of years, but I, it almost feels like that shifted after Mullen's first season because FSU's got Willie Taggart and, uh, you know, just won five games. Florida just took back Doak. Georgia um, was the other one he mentioned. That's yeah, like to me, to me, I think, it's, I think it's switched. I think Florida fans absolutely really, really wanted the Florida State rivalry turned around, but it feels like in just one, one year under Dan Mullen, Florida fans feel like that's already it's set, like it's done. That's, that one's going in the right direction. Now it's the big fish. George has been in the playoff. You know, they've been in the SEC championship game. That's the team we got to go take down now. Yeah, he's definitely taking all of his shots at it there, too. So um, another one that he said to work the crowd was whenever uh, he was talking about, I can't remember how it was asked or anything, but he was talking about like the, the Florida Miami game. He's like, well, you know, every home game in Florida, it doesn't matter. Um, you know, we, we expect a home field advantage. We have a home game in Tallahassee and we're going to have a home game in Orlando. So he definitely, you know, he spreads it thin. The trolling is spread is spread is evenly distributed, you know, to Florida State, to Georgia, now to Miami. Yeah, no, there's no doubt. I think uh, it's been fun. You know, that's the one word you can say. Dan Mullen has made it fun again. And uh, I, I think everybody in the fan base certainly feels that. I mean, you can just feel it's a different uh, it's a different vibe around the program. I think that's uh, probably the biggest takeaway was just from from last spring to this spring is that I think a lot of more people are confident with Coach Mullen and what he's done because I think he did do a lot with less last year. Obviously, we're going to see what he's going to do with a lot less on the offensive line, but I think a lot more people are really confident. Um, a lot of people are – whenever he was hired, some people were into it. Some people weren't. Some people wanted Scott Frost. Some people were mad that Chip Kelly didn't come. So I think everyone now is completely on board, and they're excited to see what happens in year two. Yeah, I think that's a good good place to wrap it up, Blake. Uh, you know, Obviously – the next uh, stages of the NFL draft will be very interesting to watch. We'll have all the updates on Swamp247.com. Please check us out there, guys. Uh, that's going to wrap us up for this episode of the Swamp 24-7 podcast. We uh, thank you guys for tuning in. If you like the show, be sure to uh, drop us a nice review, leave us a comment, tell your friends about it, and we will be back in a few days. 